Thank you for listening to the podcasts from Life Central Church. For more information or to visit one of our locations, go to lifecentralchurch.org.uk. The Christmas dinner is coming. And I was staggered when I did some research on this, that now in the UK, less than 50% of people want turkey for their Christmas dinner. I mean, what has the world come to? In fact, one in seven people prefer fast food for Christmas lunch. Pizza, Chinese or Indian. Scandalous, scandalous. And apparently, supermarkets will sell, listen to this, 750 million Brussels sprouts. What's really interesting is only half of those will actually be eaten. So we sell a lot of Brussels sprouts, but we don't like them that much, okay? There's something about the Christmas dinner table, which is so inviting, right? Because in our crazy lunch on the go, fast food kind of world, the chance to sit down around the table, eat together for a longer period of time is so, so important. And I want to suggest to you, and I've never done this message like this before, okay, or a message like this before. I want to suggest to you that this is so important, not just because it's Christmas, but because there is something which is deeply troubling at the heart of the human condition right now. And it's called loneliness. And so I've called this message, How to Deal with Loneliness. Mother Teresa famously said that loneliness is one of the worst kinds of poverty there is. And in fact, I've been doing a lot of thinking around this. Apparently millennials and Gen Zs, over 70% of millennials and Gen Zs, which basically, if you don't know who they are, they're young people, all right? Basically, over 70% of them will claim to be lonely on, 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 on consistent basis. In fact, 2018, there was a loneliness survey done in the UK and then it was updated just after COVID, the end of 22, 23. And the loneliness quotient has risen astronomically in this country. There is a real challenge with loneliness. We've never been so connected, but so disconnected relationally. And I want to suggest that the answer, one of the answers to loneliness is actually a table. You see, Jesus was a carpenter before he was a rabbi. And he knew how to build tables. And here's the truth. We build walls, but Jesus builds tables. And I'm going to open that up with us a little bit and we're going to kind of get a little bit creative around it as well. You see, the table is a powerful symbol because the table is a place of community and connection. It's the place where memories are made, where stories are told. It's a place where we get to relax and unwind and be ourselves. We get to laugh together. We get to maybe cry or sigh or vent. It's a place where we can connect as human beings. We've lost the art of a slow meal with people that we really care about, which is why the Christmas dinner table is so, so important. And I've done a little bit of wider research on this as well. I want to give you 10 things around eating together, which are really important. I can't give you all the evidence for it, but it's out there. I'm going to rattle through it. Number one, it encourages attachment. We talk a lot about attachment in our current culture. Eating together around a table rather than sat in front of a screen really encourages attachment. It encourages healthier eating habits. Could all do with some of them, couldn't we? It encourages conversation. Our granddaughter, Tally, she was over with us last weekend and I decided that she's now three and a half and that we should talk more. So I said, Tally, we're going to sit around the table because we're going to talk and she looked at me and she put her head on her side. She said, Granddad, what are we going to talk about? And I was so thrown off by that, I couldn't think of anything to say. But I thought, but we're going to talk anyway. Encourages conversation. It, it can help prevent mental health disorders, apparently, which is amazing. It can improve, help improve children's self-esteem. I want to suggest maybe adults as well. Also, the next one, 
The next one, it can improve communication skills. It can help promote adjustment. It can help some children with the effects of bullying. People say that actually being able to sit together and eat together and talk together and listen can actually help with some of these kind of things. It can help save time and money. Who could do with some of that? And you know what? It can be a lot of fun. 10 great reasons to eat together. So if you're not a person of faith, hopefully you've got something out of today's message already. Slow down, eat together. There's something important. Why do we insist on building walls between each other when Jesus was all about building tables? And when you look in the Bible, you can see how how true this was. Because what Jesus did is he ate with people often that he cared about a lot. He often ate with them in a meal. In fact, N.T. Wright was a famous uh, theologian and writer. He says this, when Jesus himself wanted to explain to his disciples what his forthcoming death was all about, he didn't give them a theory, he gave them a meal. And we're gonna celebrate that meal today. At the end of our time together, we're gonna take what we call communion. And communion was never meant to be a religious meal. It was a meal with Jesus and his friends. He was trying to explain to them about his forthcoming death and what would happen. And instead of sitting them down in a classroom and giving them a lecture, what he did was he gave them a meal. Jesus loves to build tables. But Jesus also sat around tables with people that religious people would never sit and eat with. You see, in in Jesus' day, to sit around a table and eat with people was more than food. It was about relationship. It was about connection. It was about acceptance. It was about about, um, kind of value and respect. And Jesus would sit around a table and he would eat with what the Bible calls tax collectors and sinners. In other words, this category of people that were, that were people that religious people didn't want to have anything to do with. But people who were nothing like Jesus, liked Jesus. They were nothing like him, but they liked him. And he ate with people that were nothing like him because that's who Jesus was. He modelled for us something about how to deal with loneliness and separation in the human condition. But you know, Jesus also ate with the people who deserted him and who failed him the most. And so the day after or the moment after when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, and if you remember the story, those of you that know the story, it's an Easter story, not a Christmas story. But you know, his disciples, the ones that were with him the most, they let him down the most as well. In fact, Peter, one of his closest, he denied him three times. And they all ran away. They deserted him. They ran away. And then when Jesus came back from the dead, he appeared on a beach. And Alison and I, a year or so ago, were there on that beach as we were listening to the story again in Israel and the power of that story. And the Bible says this in John 21. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Isn't that beautiful? So in other words, Jesus didn't say to them, let me just tell you about how you messed up and how you let me down. Let me sit, you sit down and I'm going to give you a lecture and I'm going to give you seven points of how you messed up. He said, why don't you come with me, gather around a little makeshift table on the beach and let's have a meal together. Jesus modelled this whole idea of coming around the table because that's where human connection is best expressed. And you know, God invites you and me to his table, not just Christmas dinner once a year, but every single day of our life. And I love this psalm and one of our worship leaders led us through this psalm before you all came this morning when we gathered early this morning to prepare. And she led us through this psalm and I love this verse. In Psalm 23 verse five, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup 
overflows. We're going to come back to that verse in a moment. But before we do that, I want you to come with me because we're going to come and sit at your Christmas dinner table, all right? Because the reality is that to come to God's table requires grace. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. And it's only because of grace that you and I get to sit at God's table together. Now, how many of you know you and I are going to need some grace for people who are sat around your table this Christmas time, right? Some of you are smiling. You see, at your table, there's going to be a whole load of different people on these seats. There's going to be the awkward seat. Anyone got an awkward person going to be sat around there Christmas dinner? Don't put your hands up. That's really awkward. Especially if that person you're thinking about is the person sat next to you. But there's going to be an awkward person sat around your table and you're going to need some grace to deal with that awkward person. There's going to be potentially an unwelcome person at that table as well. Maybe someone that you didn't want to be there. But actually, grace requires that sometimes we sit around the table with people who are unwelcome and who are awkward. One of the big problems in our culture right now is getting people to the table but then keeping people at the table long enough, am I right? So we get a truce in Israel and Gaza because they finally got to the table and now of course they're all away from the table again because we can't get people to the table with differences and we can't keep them there long enough. And maybe even in your family, there are some awkward, unwelcome people and you need grace to help them stay around the table long enough. But there's also, there's also for many of us going to be an empty seat at the table this Christmas. Yesterday here in, in this room, we had hundreds of people here who were families that have all lost people over this last year. And we partner with one of our local funeral directors and together we host a remembrance service. We've done it the last three years. It's very powerful to me to do that. And they light candles. And many of these people, maybe I don't know who they all are. Maybe they never go to a church apart from weddings or funerals. But you know, we said yesterday there will be an empty seat around their table this Christmas. And maybe that's true for you. And that's really, really difficult. And we need grace to help us in that whole thing. And maybe for you, if you are struggling in that area, you know, we've got some, Sandra gave me this, this little card. In the connection point, there are some signposts to, 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 to help you for grief support as well. And maybe if this is your first Christmas without somebody and there is that empty seat, then we want you to know that there's help. There really is help and support. Go to the connection point and look at that. But you know, maybe around the table, there's a hungry seat. And by that, I mean, there are people in our community who they may not be hungry Christmas, but they're likely to be hungry in January because the cost of living and everything and the way that the society is right now, it's really tough. And as a church, what we decided this year is that we want to do something a little bit different. We didn't want to just put everything into Christmas in terms of helping people in our communities. We want to think about January and beyond. And one of the things that we run here is a food bank. We don't talk about it a lot. We should talk about it more. It helps and serves hundreds and hundreds of people across our community. But this last year has been really tough, getting food in and meeting the need and the demand of the, of, of, that's out there as well. And so we as a church wanted to do something different to help. Somebody once said, when you have more than you need, build a longer table, not a higher fence. When you have more than you need, build a longer table, not a higher fence. And it may be that for some of you think, yeah, but life's really tough for me right now. I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. And maybe you could, when you shop, maybe you could get just one extra tin of something. 
one extra packet of something. That's all. Drop it into the shop. The reason that we went to the shop over there, I really felt that, yeah, we could have said, come and bring it to the church. I really felt it was important to say to our community, we're in this together. We're going to solve the problems of our humanity, not when we hide behind walls, but when we build tables, when we gather around tables. As we gather around tables, we're going to make an impact on our community in a much bigger way. So there's a hungry seat at some people's table. Maybe there's also a lonely seat at some people's table as well. I shared this in my little uh, video walking across the road today. Um, I was looking at some research recently. In fact, I was actually chatting to one of the funeral directors yesterday who told me that suicides, people taking their own life, have risen exponentially in their experience since COVID. In fact, he said, we're one funeral director in the black country. It's got to have been 50 people who've lost their life through suicide that we've dealt with this last year. I thought that is heartbreaking. That's one person a week. That's one director. That's just in this little part of the world. And when you think about this epidemic of loneliness, you know they say 870,000 people are likely to eat Christmas dinner on their own this year. Most of them are likely to be older adults. And I'm so grateful that there are people in this church who say, not on our watch, not on our watch. And so Sam and Hannah Hughes and many other families are giving up their Christmas day to do a massive meal over at the back to say, anybody, anybody of any age or background, if you find yourself on your own this Christmas, you're not going to be on your own. And so I want to say to you, if you know people or you're someone yourself and you're thinking, that could be me this Christmas, don't let it be you this Christmas. Do all you can to be here. They're going to put on a great spread and we'd love to gather around some big tables together with you. Again, there's a way that you can sign up for that. Or if you know somebody, then why don't you encourage them and invite them into that? Don't let anybody be on their own this Christmas. So there's a whole load of seats around a the table. There's unwelcome, there's unwanted, there's, there's the missing, seat, the empty seat, there's the, there's the hungry seat, there's the lonely seat. But then, then, amazingly enough, there's a reserved seat for you with your name on it. Isn't that amazing? Every single one of us have a reserved seat at the table of God. And let's go back to Psalm 23, where it says this. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. And when I discovered years ago what that little phrase, my cup overflows, means, it actually blew me away. You don't know what you think, what does it mean, my cup overflows? Well, here's what it means. In Bible days, okay, a king or a noble, when they sat at a table, if they didn't want that person to be at the table any longer, they'd let their cup go empty. You've all done that for people around your house, haven't you? You've said to yourself, don't fill his glass up. Don't fill her glass up. We want them to leave now. But when David says, my cup overflows, what that literally means is this, that the king never lets my cup go empty. So much so that not only does he fill it up, but it overflows, it even covers the table. David's saying, this is how much God wants me at his table. He will never let my cup overflow. And that is true for you and for me. The problem is, Many of us don't believe it. I want to tell you, there's a little mix this morning, a kind of like two or three messages in one, but I want to tell you a story. It's one of my favourite Old Testament stories. The Old Testament is the first part of the Bible, which can be a little bit confusing at times, okay? But one of the things about the Old Testament is often these real stories are what they call shadows or types of something that God has done in the new and He's doing right now in our life. 
And so I'm going to track through a little bit of an Old Testament story and bring out some things because to me, this is the heart of grace. This is, I think, one of, the, one of the finest stories of grace in the whole Bible. And it's a story of someone who came to the king's table never to leave it again. It's my story, it's your story, and it's every single person on planet Earth's story if we let it be. So let's go. It's 2 Samuel chapter 9. And it says this, David asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now let me give you a bit of context, okay? David uh, at this stage is the king. He used to be the one that was on the run because Saul was the king. Saul wasn't a great king. God said, David, you're going to be the king. Saul was jealous. He went to pursue David and do all kinds of things. Saul had a son called Jonathan who became the best friend of David. Okay, eventually uh, Saul and Jonathan both died on the battlefield. Now David is the king. And David one day says, is there anyone left of the house of Saul, related to Saul, that I can show kindness? And this word, no, no, you need to go back. Sorry, Tom, go back a slide. I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake. And that word kindness in the Hebrew is the word hasid, which in the Greek is charis, which literally means grace. Now, Now you need to know that in this day and age, Nobody shows grace to anybody because justice is you get what you deserve. Mercy is I'll let you off. But grace is you're going to get over and above what you deserve. Nobody got grace. In fact, to give you an understanding of this, a few weeks ago, six or seven weeks ago, our friend Ilona from Albania came and you heard her story about the blood feud. That's the kind of context that this story is written in. Where you kill me, I kill you. You hurt me, I hurt you. One eye, one eye. There's nothing about grace. And yet David says, I want to show grace to this family that was against me. The story goes on. Next slide. Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. We'll come back to Ziba in a moment. They summoned him to appear before David and the king said to him, are you Ziba at your service? He replied. Now Ziba is going to be a picture for you and I of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Bear with me, because David is the king, the picture of God the Father. Ziba is the one who's going to go and do something on behalf of the king. So here we go on with the story. The king asked, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? And this is really important. David is saying, I want to show grace because I've received grace. So I want to bring someone to the table because God has brought me to the table. You know, the worst thing is, not, not just to be a Christian, but to be a selfish Christian is incredibly bad, right? Isn't it? In fact, I wanted to use other words, but I didn't. Because actually, when we understand what God has done for us, it has to motivate us to want to do that for others as well. Or I would question whether we've really got it ourselves. And this is what's going on in the heart of David. And then it goes on, Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan, He's lame in both feet. Now that's detail, but it's really important detail. Why? How is he lame? Well, he's lame because, because the nurse, as she heard the news that Jonathan, his father, and Saul, his grandfather, were killed on the battlefield, she grabbed this little baby and she ran with him because she knew that David would now seek out anybody connected to the house of Saul and Jonathan. And as she ran with him, she fell him. And as a result of the fall, He was lame in both feet. And that's really, really important. And then it goes on. Where is he? The king asked. 
Now, now you'd expect, that, you'd expect David to say, what, a guy who's lame in both feet? Like, you, you, I'm going to bring him around the king's table in the palace. Is there anyone else? But he doesn't. Zibber answered, he is at the house of Machia, son of Amiel in Lodibar. Again, don't want to blind you with signs, but Machia means sold. In that, that, that kind of place mean, or, or, or that house means sold. In other words, that's a house of slavery. That's a prison. And Lodibar literally means barren. It means without pasture. So this guy has been brought up in a place with the labels and the stigma of barren and sold and prison. And David is saying, that's the one that I want to bring to the palace to sit at my table along with my sons and my daughters. Isn't that amazing? So... Carry on, next slide. So King David had him brought from Lodibar from the house of Machias, son of Amiel. When, and here's the guy's name, Mephibosheth. Say to the person next to you, Mephibosheth. It's hard when your teeth are just put in, all right? Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David. He bowed down to pay him honour. He doesn't really just pay him honour. He is frightened out of his skin. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. He's scared out of his tree. Don't be afraid. David saw the fear in the eyes of this young man. David said to him, For I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul. And you will always, say these words, you'll always eat at my table. And then it says this, Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? It's like, this is too good to be true, King, that you would get me an enemy of yours. Someone who's broken, who's been bruised because of a result of the fall, who's lived in a place with labels and stigmas of barrenness and sold and prison, that you would cause me and invite me to sit at your table with your kings, with your princes, with your princesses and always eat at your table. How on earth could that be true? But then the last phrase, and Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. And then just at the end, and this is important, he was lame in both feet. Let me give you six things, okay? And then we're going to take communion together. Just six things really quickly. Number one, we were all born into royalty. You know that, don't you? Imago Dei is, we're all built, or we're all created in the image of God. Every single person on planet earth is born into royalty. We're all born with the indelible, eternal image of God in us. But number two, we are all bruised and broken as a result of a fall. For Mephibosheth, it was the fall out of the nurse's arms. For you and I, it's the fall that occurred in the Garden of Eden when man turned its back on God and we're all bruised and broken because of that fall. But then number three, we're all invited by the king to the king's table. Every single one of us. None of us are dead dogs. None of us are, are in barrenness. We've all been brought from prison to the palace, from barrenness to fullness, you know, from, 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 from captivity to freedom. We're all invited at the king's table. But here's the thing. None of us can get to the table on our own. Ziba, a picture of the Holy Spirit, was the one who went and found the Mephibosheth and brought him in. And that's exactly what the Spirit has done. And if you know God, if you have a relationship with God, then that's not just because you decided, it's because God by His Spirit enabled it to happen. And you might not be able to understand all that, but basically you don't confess that Jesus is Lord. You don't become a follower of God just because you chose, but because God has caused that to happen because of His Spirit at work. He sent His zibber, His Spirit, and His Spirit brought you to the table. 
And here's the thing. You and I always now have a seat at the King's table, number five. Isn't that good news? Not just at Christmas, but every single day of the year. But then I love this number six. We all walk with a limp as a reminder of grace. And do you know what I love the most about this story? You can imagine, can't you? So like, here's David, okay? And you can just imagine Mephibosheth coming in and he's scraping and dragging his two lame feet across, maybe with a stick or a couple of sticks. And then there's like uh, Solomon and Rehoboam and all of these other princes and princesses of David. And then when Mephibosheth comes in, what happens, he comes in and as he sits and pulls his chair into the table, Nobody sees his feet anymore. He's got his feet under the table. And so have you and me. Isn't that amazing? And so I want to say to you today, as we head in towards Christmas, as we head towards Christmas, let's make the most of the table that God has laid out for you and I. So what do we do with it? Now what? Now what? What do we do with all this? Now what? Well, well, I want to say two things that we need to do. Number one, we send an invitation. We send an invitation. And we've been talking a lot about that over these last few weeks because we've been invited and we've responded and we've come to the table. We don't want to be the only ones there. We want to send an invitation to others. So I want to ask you, who are you inviting this Christmas time? Who are you invite? It's not too late, guys, to invite. It's really not. I've invited lots of people and many of them have said no. I hope some will say yes, but that's okay. I'm still going to keep inviting because my, my responsibility isn't for them to come. My responsibility is, for them, is just to invite. But the other way that we invite us to the table is responding to maybe stuff the sleigh or, and getting involved or maybe looking out in our communities or in our, our streets. And is there anyone that's likely to be on their own at Christmas? And don't let them be on their own. Send an invitation. Maybe bring them round your table. Or if not, then bring them round our table at the back. Let the users look after them. They'll do a great job. Send an invitation. But secondly, respond to your invitation as well. Wouldn't it be tragic if this Christmas time we invited many others to feast around God's table, but we didn't enjoy God's table ourselves. Maybe you still feel separated. Maybe you still feel those labels and those stigmas. Maybe the, the, the result of that fall in your life, that bruise, that brokenness, and you can't almost believe or almost bring to, 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 to almost like bring yourself to believe it's just too good to be true that God has invited you to pull up a seat at His table but he absolutely has. And so I want us to pray for a moment and then we're going to take communion. We're going to move around. So hosts, if you could move out right now, that would be great. And we're going to gather around the table and I hope this gives you a little bit of imagery and language for this. Communion can often feel very religious or very like routine or ritualistic. It's never meant to be that. Jesus sat down and gathered his friends, gathered those who were bruised and broken. Sometimes he gathered his enemies as well and he ate with them and he broke bread with them because our loneliness will be dealt with not when we build walls, but when we build tables. Not when we build higher walls, but when we build longer tables. And when we stay at the table long enough with those who maybe we don't get on with that that well, then maybe God could just do something quite beautiful and quite profound. Let me pray. Father, thank You so much for Your invitation to us. Every single day of our life, You prepare a table before me, sometimes in the presence of our enemies. You anoint our head with oil and our cup overflows 
because you always want us seated at your table. And so Lord, in this Christmas season, I pray that many of us will pull up that seat again and enjoy the goodness. We will taste and see again that the Lord is good. But Lord, we won't just be there on our own. We'll invite others. We'll do all we can to help others find a seat at your table as well. In Jesus' name, Amen.